Hello and welcome to the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Everhart. Check out the lyrics to this old Steve Miller band tune and uh, tell me that this couldn't be like the number one dance tune in all of hell. I can see Satan and his demons singing these very words. I'm not saying that this song is demonic or some kind of, you know, song to the devil or anything like that. That's a bunch of hokum, and I don't play those old-school church Pentecostal games of burning records and that sort of stuff. But I will say this. I mean, I know the song's about, a you know, a guy being cuckoo bananas in love with his girlfriend and getting lost in the magic of all that, and that's where the whole magical abracadabra thing comes from but i can see the enemy manipulating this you know i can see the demons celebrating you know the uh, smoke and mirrors routines that they pull on us all the time here on earth or the illusions they paint before us to trap us in a snare of sin and uh, self-entitlement and those sort of things so the, every time i hear the song it's just kind of how my mind works I'm, I'm thinking those things like you know if you've ever read the the uh, screw tape you know, uh, uh, letters from C.S. Lewis, you know, he alludes to their celebratory attitude in hell when they see us fall. And uh, I can see this being the soundtrack to that. So um, today's message is about those illusions. So be sure to stick around. You don't want to miss a second of today's podcast. I'll be right back. I want to talk to you guys for a second about my company, COP Audio. COP Audio is your one-stop source for mobile audio and lighting, as well as a host of other services. Uh, We can handle everything from large outdoor concerts to small club-type shows or even DJing your wedding or company picnic. Uh, We also work with local and regional government for public address events and summer community concert series type stuff. We also do event planning and band booking, as well as audio install work at your local church or high school. You'll find tons of information online about us on both Instagram and Facebook. When you go to our Facebook page, make sure that you read our reviews from our clients. You can also find us uh, by just calling me or texting us, uh, 304-676-8811, 304-676-8811. You can also email me at... Um, jr.copaudio at gmail.com that's jr.copaudio at gmail.com COP Audio has a long success record with dozens of bands, churches, and event venues all around the mid-Atlantic again, find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching COP Audio or call 304-676-8811 that's 304-676-8811 All right, we're back. I want to uh, open up today's message uh, by diving right into the Bible and uh, going to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. We're going to read about what Solomon had to say. We talked a bit about Solomon in the last podcast. Um, So, you know, we're going to kind of continue that just a little bit here today. And talk talk about what, you know, Solomon had to say about Satan's greatest illusion, uh, which would be pleasure. Now, let's remember Solomon was the richest, wisest man, you know, in the ancient world, uh, you know, some say of all time. Um, and, you know, he, he kind of you know, did a little experiment here in his life um, that he talks about in, in terms of pleasure. Uh, verse 1, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the uh, good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, uh, laughter is silly. Uh, what good does it do to seek pleasure? 
After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine, and while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness, alluding to the fact that wine brings foolishness. Um, In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life here in this world. In my mind, I believe he is alluding to the idea that uh, drinking wine is a very common thing that people do to uh, find happiness or pursue happiness. Verse 4, I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect water to irrigate my many uh, flourishing groves. Um, I bought slaves, both men and women and others, uh, were born into my household. Let's remember that when, whenever we hear the Bible talking about slaves, uh, it's a little different definition than what we know of today. It was a very common practice in the ancient world for you to sell yourself or your family into the service of another person uh, to purchase land, uh, to borrow money, you know, to pay off a debt, you know, those sort of things. So uh, many times people put themselves up for sale, you know. Uh, it was it was kind of a barter sort of thing, you know, where if you wanted to buy a piece of land from, let's say, Solomon, then you would sell you know, your whole household into service for him for usually it was a seven year period. And at the end of that seven years, then you got the piece of land, you know, and you got to build your own home and all that kind of stuff. So I want to make that really clear. So no one kind of gets hung up on the whole slave thing. Um, I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the Kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. Uh, I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could, could, could desire. So I became greater than all those who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, uh, a reward for all of my labors. Uh, But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So I really, you know, I really dig that. I really dig the fact that here's this, you know, this man of God from the Old Testament who had the means to really just, you know, be as wild and crazy as he ever wanted to be and uh, live life's, you know, pleasures to its extreme just to come to the conclusion that it was all meaningless and nothing really had any kind of worth. Um, The enemy loves to use these kinds of pleasures, many of the specific things that Solomon listed there to create illusions in our life. You know, things like waving the carrot out in front of us and, you know, keeping us running for that carrot and running for that carrot. I can remember many times in my life feeling like, you know, the next level of success is where happiness was going to be. You know, the next level of accomplishment or uh, being seen in some, you know, level of importance, you know, by my peers you know, if I could accomplish that, that I would get, um, you know, satisfaction in life. And it wasn't until probably my mid forties that, uh, I realized all that stuff was total bull butter, you know, and I have, you know, I have a very humble life right now and I've never been more satisfied in all my life, you know? Um, there are things that I wish were different and there's still struggle and adversity and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff is still part of the equation, but those things don't control me like they used to, you know, and I have an enormous amount of contentment in my life. I, I love my life. You know, I like the life that I have. Um, I think we all can kind of look at our world and, and wish it was a little better, or, you know, maybe I had a little more money or had a little more, you know, this or a little more of that. Um, but I don't get lost in that kind of stuff. I learned very, a very long time ago that my happiness is not dictated by my bank account, you know, because we place so much emphasis on financial, you know, um, success and security. 
and things like that. It seems like for men, it's about financial success. For women, it's about financial sec- security. Uh, one sort of leans into the other. But, uh, yeah, those can be real stumbling blocks for us when that is our focus. And the enemy just absolutely loves to keep us focused on those sort of temporal, earthly you know, things. All those things that Solomon listed in there are all things that are bound here on earth. Wealth is bound here on earth. You're not taking your money to heaven with you. You know, uh, you're not taking, you know, your boat, your motorcycle or whatever other, you know, stuff that you find enormous amounts of value in. For some people, it's their home. You know, um, you know maybe it's your river lot, your vacation home, you know, your your beach house. Um, maybe it is your career. Maybe you find that validation in your career. Those are earthly things. Those aren't eternal things, you know. And uh, when you kind of grab a hold of that, it starts to unravel some of these illusions. But uh, let's go back to where it all began. Let's go back to the garden. So in the Garden of Eden, Satan painted the knowledge of good and evil above God's wisdom to Adam and Eve. He convinced them that they had, um, they had, if they had this knowledge, they could manage their own lives better than God that they deserve to be like God and know all there is to know about good and evil. Uh, The result of that is we are still arguing over what is good and evil to this day uh, because of their decision to try to figure it out on their own. Um, They stopped trusting God that day. And we're still struggling to trust God today. As we speak, people are teaching anti-God doctrine all over the world. Or at the very least, that if God exists, he surely doesn't give a rip about you or me. Christian people are deconstructing their faith and walking away from Christ. The numbers in recent polls show people pushing Christianity out of their lives at a mind-boggling rate. There are many factors contributing to this. I'll mention three that just kind of came off the top of my head. Uh, one is legalistic teaching from the church. Uh, we've seen a lot of this from like the 50s into about the middle to late 80s, uh, where it was like you got to earn your salvation. You know, if you're not a good little boy and girl, God doesn't love you. You know, you have to follow all the laws of the Old Testament and, um, you know, earn your way into heaven. Well, that's not biblical. Um, And then on the other side of that, the next thing is hyper grace, which we see a lot of right now in the modern church. Progressive Christianity is built on hyper grace, which is the extreme the other way, which means you have to do nothing in your life to seek holiness. That holiness is just uh, given to you through the through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross at Calvary. Um, And Christ did earn our salvation at Calvary, and that is a gift. But holiness is earned. So all you need to do to get to heaven is to believe in Jesus. That's John 3.16. But if you want to have peace and satisfaction in this world, that comes from walking out a life of holiness. And that is basically just trying to be like Jesus. You know, trying to walk out love, faith, hope, self-control, you know, temperament, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, to seek God regularly, you know, um, walking out the true gospel is like sitting in the, you know, the front row behind the dugout, you know, at a game, you know, you could hit, get hit by a foul ball, you know, you will hear the crack of the bat, you will hear the guys arguing and stuff. It's, it's messy. It's clumsy. It's, you know, that's what real true Christianity looks like. Uh, hyper grace just kind of gives you a license to live whatever wretched form of life you want to live. And it it's a false doctrine that tells you that God is okay with that. If you read the first couple chapters of Romans, you'll find out that God is very much not okay with those things. But what he did do is realize that we could never live up to the law of the Old Testament and that we could never live up to all those things. And that the only way we were ever going to have real salvation was if he sent himself in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And that kind of leans into the idea of the Trinity, God, the Father, you know, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, So Jesus was God. 
So God was basically giving himself and shedding his own blood in a, in a physical body of a human being to cover our sin. But that does not change that God still really wants us to walk out, you know, his commands because it, it creates enormous amounts of fruit in our life. It creates, you know, satisfaction and peace and harmony. And uh, when we walk out sin, it brings death into our life and decay. And then the final thing that, you know, these top three things off the top of my head was uh, self-centered entitlement, which points right back to what we were just talking about um, in the garden with the knowledge of good and evil. You know, that was really the sin, you know, that was really the thing that we're even struggling with to this day is that we want to choose what is good and what is evil outside of what the Bible says, outside of any kind of authority in our life, you know there's all kinds of people in our society that think they know right and wrong a whole lot better than the rest of society to the point to where we had to create a very technical list of rules that we call laws to protect the innocent. So this, this sin of the garden of having the knowledge of good and evil and wanting to be arrogant and self-entitled Uh, from the mindset that I know better than you what is good and what is evil has created enormous amounts of conflict in our in our society Uh, some people will never be happy no matter what a church does or what you know God does to try to help them Uh, all they do is seek importance and stature desiring to be heard above the rest you know that all points back to that self-centered pride you know issue Uh, Regardless of how far from the biblical truth they wander, they still want to be heard. They still want to be validated. Uh, Thinking themselves wise, they made themselves fools. And then I have a scripture reference here, and I am going to read a good bit of Bible today. And that is from Romans 1, which we had just mentioned. Uh, We're going to read a little excerpt out of that. Uh, Romans 1, 22 to 32. So, Romans 22, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made, uh, made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Those are idol gods. You find that stuff all through the pagan religion. Um, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Um, there is a... A a concept here that is a jagged little pill to swallow, but it is the absolute truth. If we choose to walk out rebellion and we choose to ignore the conviction of the Holy Spirit and ignore God's grace and mercy and the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, he will turn you over to a reprobate heart. He will turn you over to your own evil desires and just kind of let you implode. Because God is a gentleman. He's never going to force himself on you. He's never going to force you or anyone else to love him. He's going to give you every opportunity to love him. He's going to pursue you even in the midst of your rebellion and your mess and try to draw you back. He's never going to quit drawing you back to him. But if you choose to to walk away and be whatever wretched form of yourself you want to be, he's not going to get in the way of that. He's going to let that happen. As a result, they did vow and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded truth. Uh, they traded truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself, uh, who is worthy of eternal praise. So yeah, I mean, we, we see that today. I mean, how many, you know, how much stuff do we have in this world? How many religions do we have in this world where, you know, you have to earn your way into heaven by being good? You have to, you know, um, you know, worship, you hold cows and elephants and, you know, all kinds of other creatures of the earth, the creation of the earth and, and sacred um, and sacred regard over over God. So. Uh, you can add the failures of the church to this, but honestly, the church has been a mess for centuries Um but the thing that separates all those centuries of church struggle from today 
is there has always been a real God-fearing you know, group of people who are true followers of Christ that were always trying to be that remaining remnant, correcting the curve inside the church. Sadly, and this is just my personal opinion, so you can take it for what it's worth, because I'm the guy that always says that there's good people in every church that are genuinely trying to be that remnant. But my personal experience has been a lot of that remnant, in most cases, are not even going to church anymore. They've gotten tired of being abused by uh, hyper-compliant church culture, which always feeds entitlement and selfish pride. Many pastors are living in fear of being fired if they preach on biblical sin and holiness, even if it's framed in God's grace and mercy. It's like, it's like what I always say about our corrupt government. You can point fingers at the president all you want, but you can't point fingers at him without looking in the mirror of our godless culture that is modern America. You know, we have blatantly turned our back on God. And corruption has now, you know, gave birth to death and decay in the leadership of our churches, in the leadership of our county government, local government, in the leadership of our, you know, federal government. It's a mess. Um, anytime you remove, um, you remove that standard of integrity that the Bible brings to the table then we're kind of, you know, back in that Romans 1 thing where, you know, if you want to be a mess, God's going to allow you to be a mess. Uh, Church leadership is jacked up because its supporters don't want to hear the truth anymore. Um, We are witnessing the great falling away from the faith mentioned in 1 Timothy 4, 1, 2 and 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. So let's take a look at those. 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. That is pretty hardcore. We are staring at end-time prophecy straight in the face, people. And most are lost in the enemy's illusions of pleasure to a point to where they can't see the true state of our moral decline. I just had a conversation with a, uh, an acquaintance of mine uh, about a week or so ago. Um, it was at a show, and of course most people know that I'm a Christian because I'm very open and vocal about that. Not in a pushy way, but just I'm not afraid to you know, say I'm a Christian, you know, and this guy came to me and kind of blindsided me with some statements that I did not expect to come from this guy. Um, not that this guy is like, you know, pure evil cause he's totally not. He's actually a really nice guy and I love him, you know, um, and have a lot of respect for him. Um, uh, but I think he, I think he really struggles with some Christian doctrinal stuff and, if I probably had a couple hours with him, I could probably settle his 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 mind a little bit on some of that, and um, maybe even lead him into a deeper relationship with Christ. He obviously believes because he's coming to me, telling me, you know, what is my opinion on the state of the world. And at first, I was thinking he was asking me my political position, which I know him and I are on polar opposite sides of the world that way, and I definitely don't talk about politics on the job. Um, even if you do ask my opinion, that's not really something that I'm comfortable with getting into in that public arena, uh, cause it can go south really quick, but that's not what he was saying. He was asking me about spiritual matters. He was like, I know you will have an opinion on this, but he said, if we remove, you know, the standard of integrity that the Bible has brought to mankind for centuries, then what is going to be our moral compass, you know, moving forward? What is going to be 
you know, the standard by which we say this is right and this is wrong. Uh, of course, I, you know, you know, leaned right into what I'm teaching you guys today about, you know, the fall in the Garden of Eden and how we are still, you know, uh, lost in selfish pride, you know, saying that my opinion of what is good and what is evil is more important than your opinion of that. And when you remove the Bible, which has always been the moral compass for, you know, uh, most of humanity throughout, you know, the uh, the centuries, and when you look at the civilizations that were thriving, you know, without the Bible, there's, it's very clear that the Bible was not part of that culture um, because of the things they were participating in. I said, man, you know, uh, we're not going anywhere good. I mean, that's, I wish I had a, a more comfortable answer for you, but that really is the truth. You know, and the, and the Bible clearly says that in the last days, people will call right wrong and will call wrong right. And we see a whole bunch of that going on, you know, in social circles and political circles. You know, that, that is just part of the world we live in right now. You know, the cancel culture is kind of, you know, based on all that, if you don't, if you don't believe, you know, what those guys say is evil, if, if you have any objective opinion to that, you're canceled. That's just all there is to it. They will not even entertain a, a debate about their position anymore. It's my way or the highway. Um, and if they do agree to a debate, the second that you challenge them, um, they tend to fall apart and get angry and start calling you names and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So my answer to him was it was actually very hopeful to hear that guys like him are thinking about these kind of Christian concepts. And it really made me feel, it warmed my heart. It made me feel really good to know that this guy is really thinking about Jesus in those terms. And um, he is definitely not what I would call a church-going Christian. But that's okay, because there's going to be a whole lot of people in heaven you're going to be surprised made it. And there's going to be a whole lot of people who didn't make it that you thought was going to make it. So, yeah, there's all that. Uh, so my conversation was, yeah, man, we're all still fighting over what is good and what is evil. And the Bible has always been the moral compass that, that had very clear guidelines as to what is good and evil. Uh, the Ten Commandments is a great example of that. Um and when you remove that from society, then people are kind of just left to their own devices. And uh, pride is a big part of that. Satan uses pride to accomplish these things. He tells us we deserve to know all things and have all things when the world is not structured that way. Adam and Eve learned this the hard way. You know, pride always lies to us with self-entitlement. That's why the Bible says pride comes before a fall, because we get so blinded by pride, we never see the fall coming. Adam and Eve didn't see the fall coming. And they were perfect and without sin. When they committed that first act of treason, when they broke God's you know commands for the first time, the first sin that ever happened on planet Earth... Um, you know, the enemy was nowhere to be found. You know, when God came down and, you know, was calling out for Adam, was pursuing Adam, God knew that what they had done. You know, he wasn't naive. He wasn't blind to what had happened. He knew exactly what had happened. Now, he called out to Adam, and Adam said, you know, hey, I'm here. And God said, uh, why do you have fig leaves tied around you? Of course, God knew the answer to that question, but he was giving Adam the opportunity to repent. He was giving Adam the opportunity to own his junk, repent, and fall on the mercy and graces of God. Well, Adam responded with, um, well, Father, you know, God, we were naked, you know, so we had to cover ourselves up. Now, that had never been part of the human experience in the Garden of Eden until after they ate the fruit. Um, so God said, who told you you were naked? As he knew that someone had weaved death and decay into the equation. And then here's Adam's big opportunity to repent, own his junk, beg for forgiveness, 
you know, fall into the wonderful grace and mercy that God has for us all. And he did not do that. He responded with arrogant pride because now that's part of the equation since he's eaten the fruit. And he blames it on his wife. He blames it on Eve. He goes, well, this woman, Eve, that you gave me, gave me the fruit and I ate it as if he didn't know what the fruit was. Look, the dude was right there, man. Come on, take that bull butter someplace else. But for the first time in all of human existence at that stage of the game, they had felt guilt and shame. And so began shame's work of self-condemnation we all struggle with in our own lives even to this day. Shame and guilt are the enemy's greatest tools to keep our minds focused on his plans of defeat in our lives. Guilt is the idea of feeling bad for something that we did wrong. Shame is actually believing we are bad to our core. When Satan uh, can convince us that we are identified by our shame, then our faith in shame's evil work will rob us of our godly identity. You see, God says, yes, you're broken, but I love you enough to rescue you from your sin and shame and restore you through the shed blood of Jesus. Satan, on the other hand, tells us, you know, tells you, tells me, tells everybody um, that, yeah, you're broken, dude, and you will never be anything more than the habits of your brokenness. You're a failure, you're alone, and no one cares about you. He says that to all of us, guys. If, you're, if that really hits a nerve with you, then follow that pain because it's going to lead you to freedom and restoration. You're not alone. Those are lies. Yes, you may fail in your life, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. Your past does not have to dictate your future. You can change anytime you choose to change. Don't listen to those lies. Every single person that you encounter on this planet is dealing with these same lies. They're dealing with these same struggles, believing that they're not enough. The enemy is great at weaving those lies to us. Um, Satan's latest ploy that I've seen, you know, playing out around me here just recently is that he likes to surround hurting people with godless love and support without the healing process of repentance and salvation through Jesus. This is extremely popular. Uh, Self-help is built on that. And I just was standing next to uh, some people in a public restaurant not long ago and overheard um, some people who were, were practicing that very thing. You know, it was, I could tell by their conversations and, um, their behavior and the way the situation was playing out, that chances were that these guys were not Christians and not believers. And one of these people apparently had been going through a rough time and they surrounded this person with godless love. Look, you can surround yourself with all the support in the world and that will help you. You know, I'm not against self-help. I'm all about self-help. Self-help does comfort people, and I think it's a great way um, to work through the truth about ourselves because I preach all the time about we need to understand the truth about ourself. We get that through psychology, uh, self-help, and things like that. But then we have to also have and understand the truth about God and how he views us and who we are in Christ. But when you're surrounding yourself with godless comfort, you're only getting half of the you know healing process. Um, in the same way that if you had a broken leg, um, you know pain meds may comfort the pain of the broken leg, but it doesn't solve the problem of having a broken leg. Without the attention of a doctor to reset the bone so it can heal properly. The person is never truly well. They're only self-medicating themselves through the pain. True wholeness only happens when a person recognizes their sin and humbles their hearts before God, asking for forgiveness. 
I know that sort of comes off like old school turn and burn, like, you know, follow God or burn in hell. That's not what I'm saying here. There is definitely a purpose to this process of repentance. Um, so this is why pleasure is such a hot topic these days. It's our favorite coping skill, and pleasure comes in many forms. Many seek escapism pleasure uh, in work, friends, hobbies, drugs, and alcohol abuse, as well as things of a sexual nature. Uh, just look at the porn addiction numbers for both men and women, and you'll see that people find that particular escape especially tempting. Uh, those numbers are mind-blowing, by the way. And um, it's not just a man's problem anymore. Um, the, the, the numbers for women addicted to pornography and stuck in cycles of um, unwanted sexual behavior have grown exponentially in the last 20 years. Uh, we are in such denial of our reckless, sinless lives that we seek out pleasure in every form to self-medicate our guilt and shame. See how we're coming back to that guilt and shame thing? Once the enemy plants that guilt and shame into our DNA, he uses that to control us. Now, I want to go one more time back to the Bible, to 2 Timothy 3, and we're going to hear how Paul describes the role of pride and pleasure uh, to his disciple Timothy in the last days. So let's go to 2 Timothy 3. And this is a scripture you may have heard me share in earlier podcasts, maybe from the first season or something. Um, this is a scripture that speaks to me very clearly. So what Paul is telling Timothy is this is what society is going to look like in the end times. This is what society is going to look like in the last days. Uh, verse 2. This is 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, starting at verse 2. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachings oppose the truth uh, just like Janus and, and Jabris opposed Moses in the Old Testament. And that's a whole other podcast to talk about those guys. Um, they have deprived minds and counterfeit faith. Let me say that again. They have deprived minds and counterfeit faith. There's a whole lot of counterfeit faith going on, guys. But they won't get away with this for long. Uh, someday everyone will recognize what fools they are. Uh, just as Janus and Jambres of the Old Testament in Moses' day. So let's just review that for a second. Does any of that sound familiar to you? Do you see any of this in the world around you at work, uh, on the highway? You know, God knows road rage is pointing right toward this. And I myself am guilty of that as well. Uh, for people will love only themselves and their money. Yeah. Uh, they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God. Um, you can see professional scoffers every night after the evening news. They call them late night uh, variety show hosts. You know, that would be guys like um, Jimmy Kimball and uh, Jimmy Fallon. And those guys, they have made careers at scoffing at not just God, but at society. You know, uh, children will be disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. There's a whole movement to empower children right now. Um, I really think that's a mistake. Kids should not be making the decisions when they are still in the de developmental stages of their life. They don't have the ability to rightfully divide right and wrong. Uh, that is your responsibility as a parent to teach them that. Uh, they will be unloving and unforgiving. 
They will slander others and have no self-control. Look at the recovery industry, and you'll see all about the no self-control thing. Um, They will be cruel and hate what is good. Definitely got that going on. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Uh, Pleasure is the great illusion that we're talking about most here today. Um, and then this is the part that ju- just jerks my chain and grinds my gears more than anything is that they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Man, the, the, you know, the whole progressive Christian movement is full of a whole bunch of stuff like that. And it's not leading toward, you know, biblical Christianity. And then finally here, and I'll touch on this and then we'll move on. Uh, they're, they're, they're the kind that work their way into uh, people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened down with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Uh, that that pertains to men and women, by the way. It's not just singling out women there. Um, I'll give you an example of that scripture, and that is the whole promiscuity that we see that is so popular you know, nowadays. Um, you know, people cheating on their wives and, you know, bed hopping from one partner to another. The swinger scene is involved in that. There's all kinds of manipulation inside that scene. As much as they want to tell you that everything is consensual and everybody has all the cards on the table and everybody's telling everybody what's going on, I can tell you for a fact that there's an enormous amount of secrecy inside that inside that scene. Not all that glitters is gold, ladies and gentlemen. And... Um, don't let the lusts of the flesh blind you to the enormous amounts of psychological and emotional damage that is being done inside the swingers scene. Uh, yeah, sure. There's people there that absolutely love it. They think it's the greatest thing in the world. Hey, that is what it is. But uh, I have counseled people that have come out of that scene who uh, have a completely different story. So, yeah, there's the Bible hitting us right in the face, right around us each and every day. If that doesn't hit a nerve with you about the world we live in right now, then what does? Uh, So where does this leave us? How are we to seek holiness when the cards are so highly stacked against us? I'm glad you asked that question. I'll tell you how. Through God's grace and mercy. This is the exact reason Jesus came to earth. To do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Just like any of us with children would lay our lives down in a second for our sons and daughters, God loved us so much that he laid himself down as Jesus to save us from sin. He fully understands our struggles with Satan's lies and manipulative attacks. Uh, Even in the face of our rebellion, he shed his own blood to save us. Uh, I have taught many times that when you were lost in your addiction, when you were lost in your sin, when you were lost in your rebellion, when you were lost in your pride, when you were lost in pleasure, when you chose pleasure four times out of five over God, Jesus seen that while he was hanging on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's seen that while he was on the cross. He's still in the face of your rebellion shed his blood to give you eternal life if you'll just choose to accept it. All of hell understands this and knows this is the truth that they must work hardest to hide from us. The culture of hell is confusion and chaos and it surrounds us every day and being a Christian doesn't change hell's efforts to blind us from God's grace and mercy. See, there's 100% faith in God in hell. All the demons of hell have seen God. They know that he's real. They know that he is God. They know who Jesus was. I mean, then Jesus uh, got off the boat and met the Gadarenians, you know, and and the the man that was running in the tombs, demon-possessed by a legion of demons. That's a thousand demons. That guy ran to Jesus, and those demons spoke out of him and called him the Son of God. They know who Jesus is, and they know who every saint of God is. They see the seal that is marked on you in the spirit realm as a believer. So if they can blind you from 
God's grace and mercy and keep you from believing that your guilt and shame doesn't have to control you, then they can, can control you. As long as you're lost in that guilt and that shame, as long as you're focused on your failures constantly, you're never going to be able to tap into God's grace and mercy. You can't tap into something you can't see, and you have to believe it in your heart. When we humble ourselves and own our junk in gentle repentance, we find true freedom from guilt and shame. See, this was the process that I was talking about just a few minutes ago when I said this kind of comes off like a turn or burn situation. It's not. God is giving you the opportunity to surrender your life to him because he knows how to run it better than you. It's the same thing we do when we enter recovery. We turn our lives, we recognize that our lives have become unmanageable, and we turn our lives over to people who are sober and have a track record of good decision-making, and we allow them to speak into our life and teach us how to walk out sobriety. Where do you think that whole blueprint comes from? AA was originally founded by Christian people in 1935. That concept came straight from the Bible because you have to own your junk. The amends process is just a mirror image of repentance. That's why there's so much power in the process. Jesus is the only thing that can do this. There's no self-help technique that will ever truly bring any of us to a place of restoration. It may bring healing to the table, It's brought healing to the table in my life. But it was only through my relationship with Christ that I tapped into true restoration. But that's not all. Once we've given our lives and junk to Jesus, because Jesus openly says, bring your junk to me, and uh, I'll take care of that and take up my burden and see that it's light and easy to carry. Uh, Something amazing happens once you make that decision. We start to look at the world differently. Love takes root in our hearts, and slowly over time, we learn to have compassion on those that have hurt us over the years, including ourselves. Because for many of us, we are our own worst enemy. For many of us, our self-talk is very toxic. Part of the amends process is forgiving yourself as well. And forgiving yourself of all the junk you allowed to come into your life and all the bad decisions you made because of that junk. There's such freedom in being able to forgive those uh, that hurt us. Letting go of unforgiveness is huge in the restoration process. We don't forgive to let, you know, our perpetrators off the hook. We forgive to let ourselves off the hook. Unforgiveness is a prison, guys. No one really gets away with anything in this world anyways. The Bible clearly says that everything that's hidden in darkness will be revealed in the light. But we have to let go of the poison of unforgiveness in order to get and stay free. And that's not an overnight process, but it has to start somewhere. Nothing will rob us of joy and happiness and make us emotionally numb more than unforgiveness. It's like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt the other person. The only one you're really hurting is yourself. All this starts with our own personal decision to surrender our lives to Jesus. It's not about church. It's about a relationship with your Savior and learning how much he loves you, just the way you are, and how he desires to change you, how he desires to make you a better person. I always say becoming a Christian is falling apart in a thousand different pieces, But Jesus picks up those little pieces and he puts you back together in a much, much better way. The enemy is all about, you know, smoke and mirrors and works very hard to keep us from looking behind the curtain, discovering the true source of his deceit. He's the father of lies, guys. He's never going to be able to tell the truth. He's just a bad boardwalk magician, barely scraping by in his attempts to deceive us. The second you realize that all you feared in life was built on lies and a whole bunch of what-ifs will be the beginning of understanding just how powerful your ability to believe in God's goodness really is. 
once you sell out to that concept and start walking in faith that he is with you inside your struggles and problems, trying to grow you to your next higher level of holiness is where joy ignites and the enemy loses power over your focus and motives. That's true freedom. If you have found value in this podcast or if it has blessed you in any way, can I ask a couple things from you real quick? Please rate and review this podcast on whatever format you listen to it on, especially if you use Google or Apple Podcasting app. Also, could I ask you to please donate to this ministry? Uh, We need your financial support. We are not sponsored by any church or religious denomination, nor do we have any corporate sponsors. Uh, We are totally independent and dependent on our listeners to make this ministry resource possible. Please consider giving to this ministry. I'll be sure to post links and information on how to give in the description of this podcast. And finally, and most importantly, we need your prayers for guidance and protection from the people who look to silence voices like ours. Pray for God's favor in the eyes of our enemies and grace in our hearts toward them. Pray that God uses this podcast to speak into the lives of those struggling with addiction and ministers to the hearts of the hurting. We need your prayers covering this ministry so we can be effective ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to this podcast. My prayer is that it blessed you and brought you a fresh understanding of our lives in this world and our need for unity in Christ. A brush fire of revival in Jesus Christ is our only hope for satisfaction and true joy as we walk out the human experience that is our day-to-day lives. It's been my sincere honor to be your host today at the Truth Labyrinth Podcast. Be blessed and be a blessing to those around you. Till next time, I leave you with a scripture from Ephesians 6, 23 and 24. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters, and may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank <laughs> you.